American Redoubt Radio Operators Network and is a nationwide disaster preparedness network made up of patient-oriented radio operators. So, Amron phonetically, Alpha, Mike, Romeo, Romeo, Oscar, November. This is a directed net, so please hold any traffic until that control station calls for it. Any emergency traffic may break in at any time. Whether you're seasoned or new, this is the place for patriots, preppers, and partisans who understand the necessity of being able to receive and share information with others. When conventional communications are disrupted or compromised, grid up or grid down, this is Partisan Radio. Welcome to Volume 18. We've got several things that we'd like to cover with you. First of all, there was an alert sent out to all of Idaho Aries members, that's the Amateur Radio Emergency Service, requesting communications assistance to help with the U.S. Forest Service. This was put out, Idaho Amateur Radio Emergency Service Amateur Radio Callout. They have received a call for assistance from the National Firefighter Communications Techs for Aries radio operators. This is the big one, folks, and these are the exact type of callouts we look for. Here are some of the things they're looking for. Of course, Aries operators in good standing, self-contained operators with their own equipment, VHF, HF, whatever you have. Assignments for up to 14 days, 15 hours a day, or as long as you can stay. And four, operators will be given a communications task book. Five, upon completion, you will be considered as qualified fed radio operators. And six, they will feed you well. Number seven, some expenses may be covered. Uh, They were told that operators will work for food. I like that. Uh, Deployment to Central Idaho McCall Council area for the wildfires. If you have the metal and equipment for such an adventure, please call. And then there's the information. Well, that has been uh, retracted. Uh, Just uh, got this in. The U.S. Forest Service wants to thank Idaho for all the response to the call out and has filled those positions needed at this time. They apparently were overwhelmed by Aries operators who wanted to rise to the occasion and put their skills and their equipment to the test, but they were told, stand down, no more slots available. However, if you'd like to, and you're involved in Aries, you can uh, contact Idaho Aries and get put on a list for future potential call-outs. This week, I put out an email or I put a posting up uh, this week on the ARRL.org it was reported that two amateur repeaters fell victim to Washington wildfires and I wrote on there here is why we place so much emphasis on HF communications and why packing our own portable crossband repeaters is so important Now, I have some UHF repeater information I want to share with you. And, uh, of course, there's simplex voice recording repeaters as well. I want to give you guys some options. Now, there's really sometimes no substitute for HF communications, uh, as so many personal accounts have attested to. But if you are in an area where repeaters are down, you can go up on a mountaintop and with a vehicle, a four-wheeler, or even walk and uh, deploy 
a portable repeater that can greatly extend your range, especially in some of these areas where there are wildfires all over the Northwest, uh, where you are in very rugged mountainous terrain. So once again, HF. Now I'm working, I'm going to be working with one of the Amron operators that has extensive uh, experience with uh, UHF repeaters, uh, portable repeaters, very affordable. So that's something that you can expect on the way, but you have to have something uh, called a duplexer. Uh, I know that there are YouTube videos showing how to use audio patch cables to connect two Baofeng radios to make it into a repeater, but I assure you, you're going to be disappointed. There's something called desensing. And that is when you have one radio trying to receive on its antenna and just, you know, a, f a foot or a few feet away, you have a second Baofeng trying to transmit and they interfere with each other. And you have these antennas and radios competing with each other, one trying to send, one trying to receive uh, signals in the same band, even if you have them offset, just like a repeater offset of 600 you know, kilohertz. And that is called desensing. So yes, it will work within a few feet, 100 feet, maybe 200 feet. But for any type of uh, meaningful distance, uh, it, the signals are basically crushed by what's called desensing. You have to have a duplexer. And that's why uh, you want to look for a dual band radio that has cross band repeat functions that has duplexing built into it. Now, if you want to build a specific, a specifically designed repeater, and that's where they have these six cavity duplexers, they're available on eBay for anywhere from 80 to 100 $20 and uh, they're made in China, but they work and they work well, especially for the price. And uh, I mean, I'm not really into, you know, trying to promote Chinese products, but you can't find American made radios. They don't, America doesn't make radios anymore because we don't produce anything. We're a service based uh, economy now and we don't really produce anything. You can go to Japan, but most of the Japanese products are subcontracted out to China as well, or many of the parts. Uh, there is one simplex repeater made by a company called Radio Tone. Radio Dash Tone. It's a simplex repeater. They run about $70, give or take. And this is something that you can hook one single radio up to. And what it does is it actually records usually about up to 120 seconds, two minutes worth of audio. And as soon as you unkey the mic, it automatically retransmits what you just recorded. So you'll say, hey, Joe, I'm down here at the truck. I'm waiting for you. You unkey the mic and you hear yourself and Joe on the other side of the mountain hears you say, hey, Joe, I'm at the truck. I'm here waiting for you. And uh, then he responds and he has to wait to listen for his own voice, come back to him and you. It's, uh, it's slower, it's not instantaneous, but it is very effective and it's affordable. Uh, that's a simplex repeater, something you can just throw in your pack and uh, something you can hang up in a tree if you need communications for a day or two. Uh, that might be a, you know, a really affordable, simple, portable way to go. Now, in the 
uh, wildfire. And we keep talking about this because remember, it's not over. Uh, it is still ongoing. Right now, we are not aware of any town that is completely grid down without any communications linking to the outside world at this at this point, who is not covered by some type of communications. Uh, if there were, we would be there. But uh, I've got uh, an encouraging letter from somebody who's very much involved over there, involved in uh, Aries and uh, the whole emergency communications uh, effort. And they also have, he, he and his family have a low power FM station, much like we have with the Black Echo broadcasting stations. Just as an encouragement for those of you who operate Black Echo stations, uh, he says, by the way, my family runs an LP FM station. And for a short time, we were the only broadcast station on the air in Methow Valley. Our studio has a ham radio station, and we are working on getting the other broadcasters in our local area to become licensed and or install ham radio stations in order to have the capability to use ham or amateur radio for backup comms if needed. Uh, this is a really good eye opener. And many people were... Uh, well, they became aware of the need for emergency communications. That area, I imagine, will produce a high volume of licensed amateur radio operators after this fire season is over. Now, I've had several inquiries from Amron operators, mostly Amron Core, because they're the most proactive, uh, saying, hey, we want to put together a deployment team and start planning and thinking about this stuff now. Start organizing in case there's an earthquake, hurricane, some type of event in our region where it is on such a scale that the normal Aries Racies folks cannot respond and cover all the areas that need covering. We want to put together deployment teams. So we are working on a deployment packet to aid with well, deploying, uh, applying many of the lessons that we learned that we did a lot of things very well. And there were definitely some things we did not do well or could have done better. And so we are putting this deployment packet together to help as a guide. This is a guide. And we'll make it very clear. Most of this is guidance, not mandates. And we'll make it also very clear what is mandated, but it will be very sparse. Uh, operators need to be able to make quick decisions based on the information they have on the inside, boots on the ground perspective, and they need to know that they have the freedom to make decisions with little or no outside guidance. And we want to be able to help you do that and give you the freedom and latitude, but still also have some guidelines so that you'll be as effective as possible. Someone just recently sent me this regarding the SOI because we did not follow the SOI, the signals operating instructions, uh, during our deployment. And it's always been stated from the beginning. Let me read this letter to you. Since I'm relatively new at this, I've always wondered why we haven't had more multi-band flexibility in our SOI. I realize that it might be difficult to implement on a large scale, for example, an aircraft carrier can't turn on a dime, but is there some way we can work around this? My answer, yes. The signals operating instructions is a standardized mode frequency band plan to meet up with each other. When the fire 
situation started breaking out. There's multiple fires, 120 fires, 60 of them were uncontrolled, and towns started being evacuated. We immediately put the word out, everybody be on 7242, continuous coverage in case anybody there needs to call out for help. I put out an email to our Washington state members saying, if you need help and you have to evacuate, if you have to call out for help and all your comms are down, we have Amron operators monitoring 7242. Now that's not in the SOI, that frequency is in the SOI, but, uh, we didn't follow the, the time periods in the SOI because we didn't have to. This was a situation. We had to make a decision that fit that particular situation. So everybody just knew to be on 7242. We don't need to have all of this multiband flexibility in the SOI where it becomes this gigantuous, uh, uh, convoluted mess of something that's difficult to navigate through and understand. If we could make it so complex, it would be very cumbersome to use. Right now, the SOI is right on the edge of being as simple and as thorough as we can make it. We can start adding all kinds of other optional modes and bands and times and everything else, and then it becomes more complex and more convoluted. So if we have an SOI that we can meet up on, then we can adjust from there. Excuse me. Once we got on the ground, we started working with, we developed on the fly, we developed a customized communications plan using the Amron frequencies and the modes, but we set up customized times, like every hour on the hour on this frequency, voice, 7242. On the half hour, we would uh, be using digital modes. And then we made minor adjustments as we went. We didn't use the SOI. We weren't thrust into a grid down situation where we all needed a common means and method for meeting up. So we went into this customizing the Amron frequencies that we use for normal nets. So hopefully that answers that question. Now, in this whole process, several folks have expressed a lot of frustration with ARIES, the, Ameri uh, the Amateur Radio Emergency Service mostly from folks that are in Aries. And then this has kind of created a, a bandwagon that several people have wanted to jump on. Yeah, it's Aries, is messed up, and they're all... But you know what? Hold on a minute. There are many members of Amron who are in Aries and Racies, and there are, some, there are some really great, wonderful people in Aries and Racies. And they're patriots, they're God-fearing American patriots. They want to serve their community. You'll find in these organizations, and it is an organization. Okay, Amron is not, well, it's becoming an organization, but it's really a network. It's supposed to be a network. Aries is an organization. Anytime you have an organization, you have, you have uh, bureaucracy, you have red tape, you've got approval and... It, rules and restrictions that make it more and more of a bogged down system. But also Aries effectiveness really depends on the local leadership. You'll have a very effective team in one county and a team that doesn't even exist in another one and another one that exists only in name, but their repeater doesn't work. And you've got somebody that's on an ego trip, or you've got guys who just want to show up and drink beer and talk about radios, but they never really do anything. It, it's really, you're dealing with people and your local chapters 
how proficient they are, how worthwhile they are to belong to really depends on the local leadership. But there's some good folks there. Now, Amron is not in an adversarial relationship with, with Aries. We do have different, slightly obje- different objectives. Those in Aries, and I wanted, for those of you guys that are in Aries, when you join Aries, you understood the rules And as such, you agreed to the rules and you should abide by them. So when Aries says, do not self-deploy, you should not self-deploy as an Aries operator without direction and guidance. Uh, You may not have personal firearms for personal defense. You agreed to that. Okay. Uh, Typically, the Aries groups serve their county or state level emergency operations centers. And in this case, when we deployed, we went straight to the city, municipal government and and, uh, citizens who were overlooked because the county level was working on the county level and the town level got overlooked. And we were able to go in there and support them, help them as a lifeline to the outside world. And so that's the difference with Amron is it's more of a network as opposed to an organization. Although we're growing, we're becoming more like an organization, but it has to be autonomous. It's a network of radio operators who, who just by its nature have more latitude, which makes Amron more agile, less bureaucratic. We can go where we can assess the needs are. Uh, we can go to city officials who are grid down as opposed to dealing with county level because they're dealing with, you know, Aries and Racy's on the county level. Uh, the areas that maybe the county hadn't gotten a chance to assess yet. We're able to get there instantaneously, boots on the ground, very little discussion, uh, coordinate with each other, get on the ground, make a quick assessment. And if comms aren't needed there, we can quickly move on until we find a place that does need communication support. We can, so we want to go where there is no communications. If there's communications, we don't need to go. We're not there to parade around, put up a banner, and wear you know, Amron t-shirts or throw t-shirts th- to the crowd. We don't want to encroach or overextend our stay. We provide for our own protection, but we're not a militia. Uh, we may self-deploy with little notice, if, you know, if a lifeline or outside comm support is needed, that's where we want to be. Uh, if there is an imminent threat of communications being cut off, we're willing to be there and we want to be there. We always want to seek leadership in the community to assess the most pressing needs. And it's important to seek out the leadership, uh, whether it's a community leader Uh, the local pastor who has uh, influence in the community, in our case, the mayor and the fire chief uh, in Conconoli, let them know what our capabilities are, let them know what our limitations are, and ask them if if they would like us to be there to provide a lifeline to the outside world in case they get cut off. And they said, yes, please, set up right over there. Okay, but you never want to encroach, you never want to force your way into it, we're here and by golly, we're, there's nothing, you can't tell us to leave, right? You do want to be self-reliant with no outside support. Folks offered us food. They offered us coffee. They offered us, uh, you know, places to sleep, but we politely declined. Uh, we didn't want to be a burden on a, uh, on a town that was already, you know, victim, uh, victimized by this, by this natural disaster or this disaster. 
We want, as Amron, when we do offer assistance, to keep as absolutely a small footprint as possible, a minimal impact in the community, a maximum effect, minimal impact, uh, or minimal footprint. Uh, we don't want to go where we're not needed. Uh, and then once the mission's done, we want to fade away uh, as soon as the mission's accomplished. And although we do share our debriefs and experience experiences, you know, for encouragement and educational purposes to pass on the lessons learned, we don't seek recognition or glory. Glory belongs to God anyway. And we're thankful for the opportunity to serve. So I want to just pass along to you my perspective, my vision, as far as what I, I think in the future, what our roles should be. And they should, they should, those guidelines should be very easy to follow and easily understood. And I think most of the people that I've interacted with in Amron share that same vision for what our mission should be in these type of situations. This week, also, I put up a uh, close call training opportunity uh, at the fairgrounds where I was able to use close call to pick up several uh, communications that were put out on personal communications from the sheriff's department and uh, fair workers and family and friends that were keeping in touch with each other. It was a great experience. I want to encourage you to go check that out. I posted the pictures from uh, from that little training opportunity up there. And I also um, have several resources. I'm going to put this up as a separate posting on Amron.com. But one of the things that I, I wanted to point you to was uh, a PDF. It's an ebook that I'm in, it's, it was free to me. I'm going to make it free to you. It's, it's not for sale. It's just to share in the, you know, the prepper community. It's called Thousands of Scanner Ham Radio Frequencies, and it covers it all. So if you want to look up a range of frequencies to find out maybe what service that belongs to, what band that belongs in, uh, who uses these frequencies, it's all in there. And uh, it's a pretty comprehensive. So I'm going to post that. I'm going to put a separate posting up with several directories for, uh, re well, for scanners, and shortwave radio listening. All right, I wanted to share with you a report that I got from an Amron core operator who is over in central Washington, uh, not on an Amron deployment, but he's an Amron operator working with some other folks. He said, I wanted to share, you, uh, share with you a report on my recent deployment with the LFA to the Tunk Complex fire. I was deployed for the weekend to supplement the existing two-man security team who was operating with the blessing of the Homeowners Association. As a knowledgeable person, I was also pressed into service trying to sort out some of their comms. The Homeowners Association had a Cobra FRS GMRS handy talkies that they were using for coordination. Uh, the team had two, or they had UV82s and UV5Rs. We also had a desire to program a local repeater that the fire service were using for communications. So they wanted to program in the frequency for the local repeater so they can monitor the fire service. Problem number one. While I did have the standard CTCSS number to tone frequency conversion table, the COBRA numbers didn't match up. I had to go through every tone with trial and error until I was able to get the COBRA handhelds to open up. 
Okay, there is a resource I'm going to post for you. Whenever you're dealing with these GMRS, FRS radios, this, the what are called privacy codes or PL tones, privacy tones, uh, are not the same. So in other words, if you set your radio to channel 1, sub-channel 12, it might not be the same as, and it will likely not be the same as some of the other manufacturers. Uh, this chart that I have, I'm going to upload to the website so that you can see the difference between Cobra, which is a brand of radio, Cherokee, Midland, Motorola, the Motorola Talkabout, and then the Radio Shack model. These are all FRS radios, FRS GMRS radios. You have what is called a PL tone or a CTCSS tone. That is a subaudible tone of, well, anywhere from like 67 hertz all the way up to about 254 hertz. And what that does is uh, it rides along with your signal. So if your radio has that tone set in it, you and your buddies have this tone set in it, it will not open up and uh, uh, come through the speaker and key up your radio for you to listen unless it's accompanied by that tone that you put in. Now, if you're in a situation where you have multiple radios, and I'm talking FRS or GMRS radios, little bubble pack radios as they're called, Get rid of the PL tones. That would just save everybody a whole lot of grief. Those are not privacy tones. If you set your radio on channel one with no privacy tone, you can hear everybody that's transmitting on channel one, regardless of whether or not they have a PL tone. If you're living in, if you're working in a community where you got five or six guys. I mean, how many FRS radios really do you have in this neighborhood that you need to put in a tone to block out everybody who doesn't have that tone programmed into their radio? So you could just eliminate the PL tones, the privacy tones. Just have it set at channel 3.0, like as in zero privacy tone. Um, with all these radios that I mentioned, only the privacy channel one actually is standardized across all brands. Well, privacy channel one on your Cobra, Cherokee, Midland, and Motorola talk about and the Radio Shack is 67 hertz. That's a 67 hertz tone, what we typically call a sub-audible tone. Now, after the sub-channel one or privacy channel one, they all vary depending on manufacturers. Sometimes they match up. Like for example, the Cobra and the Midland and the Motorola Talkabout are all the same PL tone, which is 77 Hertz on uh, privacy channel number four. However, the Cherokee and the Radio Shack model, that 77 hertz tone would be found on their channel five. So they don't all match up. Sometimes they do, many times they do not. Another one that's popular is the Motorola Sport. Now that has a 77 hertz tone, but they don't use numbers for their privacy channel. They use letters 
So that would be A uh, for that 77 hertz tone. If you're going to try to get that radio linked up to talk with the Cobra, the Midland, the Motorola Talkabout, uh, those, you would set that to a, a sub-channel or privacy channel A. And they only have five of them. So that wouldn't even match up with uh, many of these anyway. In other words, everyone else would be talking, but you wouldn't be able to hear them uh, because you're not set on the same tone. So you know what you do with the Motorola Sport? You just remove that PL tone or that privacy tone so that you're not using one at all. And then you'll be able to hear everybody talking on that channel. Okay, problem number two. The Homeowners Association also had a scanner, but nobody with knowledge on programming it or most of the other frequencies needed to monitor. There was also no manual. I need a regular scanner, manual, and expertise to set it up. Uh, well, he didn't send along uh, the model number of it, so I'm not able to you know, support him in that by looking it up and, and uh, emailing it back to him. Of course, if he's able to email to me, he should have access to the internet and be able to locate that himself. Uh, so solution number two to problem number two, familiarize yourself with your equipment uh, prior to a disaster, have manuals printed out in advance. Problem number three, I had bought, I had brought my backup laptop running Kali Linux and the newest version of Chirp. Unfortunately, I had never tested it on my radio, and apparently it doesn't like my current firmware. Need to always validate a new hardware configuration before counting on it. I could have grabbed a different laptop that I knew was working, but I grabbed the little one. So he was going for portability. So problem number three, and I appreciate his honesty because we can all learn from this. This is I've done some of these things. And I think we all have, but those of you who are just maybe new and we want to save you some grief. Uh, if you just bought a backup laptop, don't even take it. If you're going to don't take it to a real world communications disaster situation. If you haven't tested, don't even take it. You're not going to have time to sit there and play with it and set it up in the field and download the latest firmware in a grid down situation. This is why we say get your stuff, get it downloaded, get it tested, get it operational now beforehand. Go with what you know works. Keep it updated. Keep it maintained. Practice in the nets regularly so you know all your settings and everything are correct. That's why we do it. Problem number four. I've never used a UV82 and couldn't figure out how to get it into VFO mode. I've since figured that out. The owners of those radios weren't experienced with them. Okay, once again, don't go into a real-world situation with a piece of equipment you have not previously tested or familiarized yourself with and become proficient with. The UV82, uh, that one is kind of a pain, and that's why I don't recommend them. To switch from channel mode to VFO mode, you have to turn the radio off, hold a button on the side, and then power it back up, and then it powers up in VHF mode. Uh, I mean, VFO um, that's where you can, you know, man, manually put in a frequency. Um, but then you have to turn it back off and then hold the button on, on, hold the button down on the side while you repower the radio up. And then you got access to channel mode again. That drives me absolutely bonkers. Um, but familiarization prior to going into an event will save you this grief. That's the solution to problem number four. 
I've attempted to call CQ Amron multiple times on 2 meters and 70 centimeters without success. Obviously, I need to get my HF going. I actually have my rig, but need to get my antenna sorted. Problem number five. 2 meter, 70 centimeter is not good enough. HF is the only way to communicate from a truly remote location. Amen. Uh, thank you for reinforcing that. Uh, problem number five. Uh, the solution to number five, HF capabilities. If we were in steep, mountainous, rugged, box canyon, little town, cut off from everywhere, and we actually did have access to a repeater, uh, especially with a 75-watt mobile that we were running, but there was so much traffic on that, we couldn't handle routine or even priority because there's so much immediate traffic going on. Uh, HF allowed us to handle a lot of other comms way outside the area, outside of the affected area where it wasn't congested. And we had Amron operators able to support us and look up stuff on the internet. They were able to uh, email folks for us. They were able to just do a lot of stuff to really support us. Yeah, HF is the way to go. Successes. We were off grid. The this is this is his uh, this is his after action review, or actually just a report. They're still on the ground. Um, summary: Two meter is not enough. HF is the way to go. This is Sierra Whiskey Zero Three. We were off grid the entire time, and once the Verizon cell towers went down, our cell service was extremely limited via AT&T, text only, occasional bursts of data. Some of us using third-party ROMs on our Android phones had to manually switch networks to AT&T. To solve this, a group took down one of the residents' satellite dishes and equipment and relocated it to the Grange that was being used as a base of operations. Uh, we were in a Grange as well. Great, great facilities for that. Unfortunately, nobody had the proper info to aim it correctly, so we're waiting for a satellite tech to come out tomorrow. Also, the residents, the ones who weren't looting dirt bags, uh, or who weren't looting dirt, dirt bags, <laughs> uh, were extremely supportive of our armed presence. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, the Grange was exceptionally well supplied with food, uh, medical supplies, Airbeds, bedding, clothing. However, one big gap in the clothing that was noticed was women's undergarments. Uh, they were in demand of, apparently. And they had a nicely sized diesel generator, but it was reportedly kind of noisy with the electronics. I'm not surprised about that at all. Uh, yeah, there's, there's more. This is really good stuff. Okay, guys, I'm going to get that posted up. I'm going to get this wrapped up. And I still, well, I've got plenty of material to share with you next week. So anyway, that pretty much wraps things up for this week. This has been Volume 18 of Partisan Radio. I am John Jacob Schmidt, 73. As ready, trained communicators, right up to the present time, radio hams have been busy every single minute. The ever-increasing group of radio amateurs who have equipped themselves at their own expense with two-way radio sets by amateurs who saw their opportunity to render a public service and paid off for Americans in trouble.